0: I went to my primary care doctor, and she kind of looked at me as if I was stupid or I didn't know what I was talking about. And she laughed a little bit and said to me, does your boyfriend know what he's doing?
1: When sex hurt,
2: I assumed it was just because it was the first time.
3: Why is the system defining me as a problematic vagina?
2: It makes you feel like less of a woman in some ways. Like, people have sex, and... My body won't let it
0: happen. A couple of years ago, I was visiting New York and met up with a friend of mine from college, Lila. We hadn't seen each other in a while, and we went out for late-night pizza and immediately started catching up. We'd always been really open with each other, and I wanted to tell her what was going on in my life. But there was this one thing I just couldn't say. I didn't have the words. We were falling asleep when she was like, you have this serious boyfriend now, right? So you finally had sex? I lied and said, yeah, of course. The truth is I'm 27 years old and I've never had penetrative sex. I've tried multiple times and I would always feel this intense stinging and searing pain kind of like if you were doing the splits and someone was pushing you into a much deeper stretch than feels possible for your body. It always felt like my partner was hitting a wall, like there was literally nowhere to go inside of me. Until recently, I kept it hidden from almost everyone around me. And that's the question I want to talk about today. What drives this kind of secrecy, this culture where I and the millions of women like me feel like we can't talk about our own bodies, our own health. There are other kinds of pain or conditions that people talk about all the time. So when and how did I learn that this is something I had to keep secret?
1: I'm Noah. And I'm Hannah. Welcome to the first episode of our new podcast, Tight-Lipped, a public conversation about a very private type of pain. We created this show to open up the conversation about chronic vulvar pain, which is an umbrella term for different kinds of pain in the vagina or vulva, some of which are caused by penetration. This is an issue that impacts an estimated 28% of American women. And today, we'll be talking about why anyone with a vagina might feel the need to stay quiet. We'll start our show with one of our own stories how Noah went from lying to her friend Lila about sex to hosting an entire podcast about it.
0: I've thought about this conversation with Lila a lot over the past couple of years. I wasn't even sure if she remembered that night.
4: Okay, so now now that we have all our equipment on, let's have an emotional conversation. Hi, Lila. Hi. Okay, so um, tell me about this conversation, like, describe it, because I'm not sure if I remember it the same way as you.
0: I filled her in on everything I remembered.
4: You said something to
0: me like, okay, so like finally you had sex with him, right? And then I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm,
4: okay, we, let's move on. So I do remember that um, night. Also, that sounds very on brand of me to just like directly ask a very like personal question. So I guess I was like, maybe a little curious at the time? Like, did it have, like, symbolic significance to you? Like, was it, like, a religious reason? Were you just not comfortable?
0: At that time, trying to have penetrative sex became, like, this weird science project. I thought it would work, eventually. If we did it right, it would stop hurting. I thought that sex was supposed to be the most natural thing in the world, something people did all the time, except for me. I wish I'd known at the time how to say, you know, sex isn't only penetrative sex.
4: I don't know. Do you think you like you weren't ready to tell me all about it? Like it felt like too large to go through or? Well, it
0: took me a really long time to kind of get out of denial about what was happening. I first of all, didn't think there was literally a condition that exists that could cause you not to be able to have sex. Like I think I couldn't say that to myself or to other people.
4: Because that sounds, it sounds like silly, like it doesn't work. I just, I know, I mean, I feel like sad that you felt like you had to hide it. Like I also think it, I understand it. You know, you don't have to like reveal everything to everyone. But I think that's part of why
0: like this moment stands out to me is like I don't have any association of like hiding things from you. There was something like so deep that was like going on inside for me that still wasn't something that I like could really face. I liked what Lila said, that I had the right not to disclose parts of my life that I didn't want to. But keeping the secret wasn't so much a choice. It felt necessary. How could I tell people that sex caused me excruciating pain? It felt like such a basic thing I should be able to do. It wasn't until a few months later, in June 2017, when I was standing in the kitchen with my roommate Hannah, who happens to be my co-host on this show. Hi! That I learned that I might not be the only one.
1: I was stirring the lentils and talking about my friend Dee, who had a really weird problem. Dee had never been able to use a tampon or have penetrative sex. She has a condition called vaginismus. She had just gotten married, and I wondered if she'd been able to treat it. And the next thing I knew, your face was beet red, and you were walking out of the room.
0: Like with Lila, I still hadn't told Hannah that I'd never had penetrative sex. And when she started telling me about D, I recognized all of my own symptoms and was immediately overwhelmed with questions. Who was D? Were there other people out there secretly not having penetrative sex? Was this a medical condition? What is that word, vaginismus? I started panicking, I didn't know there might actually be a name for what I was experiencing. My breathing got quicker and quicker, and it felt like somehow my
1: rib cage was too tight and too small. You left the room, and I had no idea why. And you locked yourself in the bathroom. I was trying to calm down.
0: All of these moments in my life started coming together. How I'd never been able to use a tampon or get a gynecological exam. I used to kind of hoard tampons. I'd buy a package knowing I wouldn't be able to use them. But I was still hopeful. They'd sit on my shelf for months, even years. Sometimes when I moved to a new dorm or apartment, I'd bring the boxes with me. It took me until I was 25, when Hannah and I had that conversation in the kitchen about Dee, to finally hear of someone like me. I knew I had to talk to Dee.
1: Even though I hadn't talked to Dee in years, I reached out to her on Facebook and said, I think my roommate has what you have, and you're the only one that can help. Luckily, she agreed to talk.
0: I dialed her number while I was standing on the street in Andersonville, our neighborhood in Chicago, and I spent the next two hours walking in circles, comparing vaginas with a woman I'd never met.
2: I'm 28. I still haven't successfully had sex. Um, which is terrifying thought. You know, you see those movies that we laughed at in high school, like the 40-year-old version and stuff, and you're thinking like, oh my God, that's a real possibility. This
0: could really happen to me. That's Dee, and talking to her made it real. She told me how she couldn't have sex, meaning penetrative sex. Here was this person who had the same symptoms I did.
2: I think I always knew that there was... Something a little bit weird like I never really used tampons. I wasn't a super sexual person I'd never had sex
0: even as like all of our friends were having it and everything I saw so much of myself in Dee's story She told me about having a panic attack at her first gynecological exam when she was 18 years old I've never been able to even go through with an exam It's always incredibly painful and I jerk away at the slightest touch The pain was always too extreme for a doctor to be able to insert a finger, let alone a speculum. Dee began telling me about what happened after her panic attack. She spoke to her therapist, who began listing a series of possible conditions. She never knew there were so many different things that could make your vagina hurt, which neither did I until recently.
2: You know, maybe you have vaginismus, maybe a vulvodynia, endometriosis, that there are all these different things that can
0: contribute to this fear, that it might not just be anxiety. Eventually, Dee was diagnosed with vaginismus, which means that the muscles around the vagina entrance contract or spasm. Doctors aren't quite sure why it happens. For some people, it's a psychological condition. For others, it's muscle dysfunction, or both. To be honest, I'm still pretty confused about the psychological versus physical distinction. Hearing her use the word vaginismus was a relief. This was a medical condition that other people knew about. We talked for a while, and I started to ask her what I most wanted to know. How do you treat it?
2: I started initially with a therapist doing talk therapy and cognitive therapy, and then started doing some EMDR. I've done hypnosis. I've done pelvic floor therapy. I've done biofeedback. I even flew across the country, and had a procedure that was supposed to cure
0: vaginismus physically. Every treatment was trial and error. She'd spent 10 years and so much money on it. It sounded like there was no hope. When I first found out about the vaginismus,
2: I more thought of it as, like, I'm never going to get married, like, I'm never going to have a relationship. Because, you know, I've always been taught or always thought that sex was such an integral part of a relationship you know it's that two people becoming one and being as close as you can and i just thought i'm never gonna have that it sounds so horrible but you know i've even told my husband like i want this for us i want this for our relationship but at the same time i also feel like if someone said like you don't have to ever have sex it's fine i'd be like okay cool because this is the monkey on my back
0: like this is what eats me up inside after d and i finished talking I walked up to our attic and sat with my head on the desk. I remember her saying at the end, hey, if you find a magical solution, be sure to let me know. I'd been so ready to hear her tell me everything was gonna be all right, but that didn't happen. I felt like I saw the next 10 years ahead of me. My whole life would be taken over by doctor's appointments, medications, and endless trial and error, and maybe nothing would work. I didn't know this thing I had was permanent, that it could impact all my relationships, pregnancy, birth, my mental health, even my identity. At that point, I knew three things. One, I wasn't alone. There were other women with similar problems. Two, this wasn't gonna be easy. I wasn't going through a phase and there was no magic pill. And three, The only way I would make any progress would be by being honest about it. No more secrets. And so I started telling people. I had this word now, vaginismus. Even if that wasn't my diagnosis, I knew there were words to describe what was happening in my body. And that made it easier. As I slowly started telling people, they said all sorts of things in response.
4: Your boyfriend is so amazing for sticking around. Are you still going
1: to date men? Is your boyfriend okay with it? You need to focus on getting cured. That's a terrible disease.
0: Even a 15-year-old who I told said, Noah, you're probably just not relaxed enough. These reactions made me uncomfortable. Why was my worth in my relationship so tied to my ability to have penetrative sex? People acted like I'm preventing my partner from doing what every man wants like I'm guilty. I had a conversation with Sharon Orshalemi about this. Sharon is a sexual health educator and runs an awareness group for women. Hearing her talk about the research gave context for my own experience. She told me about an article called If Sex Hurts, Am I Still a Woman? Sharon explained,
3: The chronic pain condition threatens your Identity as a woman, as a sexual being, as a sexual partner, and a love partner, not just sexual partner. It's the core of your womanhood or your sexuality. And if you can't provide that, then you're flawed and you fail. To be clear, Sharon is really critical of this conventional
0: thinking. But many women, including me, experience this feeling like a failure because they can't have penetrative sex. As supportive as people tried to be,
3: they saw me now as broken or needing to be fixed. Like Sharon says... And also the idea that this is a natural thing that is not natural for your body. Like, that's evolution, that's biology, that's nature, and your body doesn't fulfill that.
0: This clearly contributes to the shame that I felt. As Sharon says, it's the coital imperative, which is the weight that penetration has
3: in heterosexual sex. It defines heterosexuality, womanhood... And heterosexual sex. There's actually no choice when you do heterosexual sex if you do intercourse or not. There's no choice because it's the definition of sex and it's the obvious. Sharon
0: says there's a strict script for how heterosexual sex looks and is defined and it's one of the reasons that so many people keep their pain to themselves. People were concerned about my sex life and relationship. They made so many assumptions about how my partner feels. So I wanted to hear a little bit from him about how he experiences it. His name is Barr. One night sitting on our bed, Barr let me tape us talking. Barr's not really a big talker. Wow, this is scary recording this conversation. So I was glad that he agreed to let me record him. Can you tell me where we are right now?
5: In Hamadragot Street in Jerusalem. Israel.
0: This is our home, right? Like, we this live is together? This
5: rented apartment that we live in currently.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Once I got barred to stop playing with the microphone, we went back to what it was like two years ago, when we didn't know what was wrong. When did you know that I had this condition?
5: Well, when we started going out, we didn't really try to have sex for a while. After a few months, we started trying and it just didn't work. It was just too painful for you. And then you would cry. What
1: was that like for you?
5: Hard. I didn't know how to help, Mm. you can say.
0: I remember at the beginning, I used to start crying. And now I'm like getting upset <laughs> thinking about it. Um, sorry. Okay. I used to start crying and then you would say like, like, nothing's wrong. You're fine. Like, you're okay. Like you would try to kind of make it better. Do you remember that?
5: Mm-hmm.
0: And then at a certain point you stopped saying that. And instead you were like, maybe you need to go to a doctor. So ever since I accepted the fact that the pain wasn't going to disappear on its own, I've thought about it every day. I wanted to know, does Barr think about it too? How often do you think about this?
5: Not so much these days, because it's like this is our reality now, Mm -hmm. right? We accepted the situation, and this is like how we live. No, I hope that we can figure it out one day, but not worried about that so much today.
0: Are you saying, like, you hope one day we can have yeah. penetrative sex?
5: Yeah. What if we
0: can't?
5: <laughs> we already so... talked about that.
0: Sometimes other people see it as a bigger deal than Barr does himself. So by this point, I'd started telling almost everyone I knew about how sex was painful. It was no longer something just between me and Barr. It felt good to tell people to no longer be alone in figuring this out.
1: And in the course of making this podcast, I think we found that you're far from the only one. There was this other reaction that you kept getting when you told people, that was pretty amazing, and it's part of why we started this podcast.
0: When I told female friends and coworkers what was going on, they would often respond with, "Me too," or "My best friend has that." So many women I knew had chronic pain with penetration or chronic vulvar
3: pain. Sharon had the same experience. And then I started hearing that like tons of people have it, not the diagnosis, but have like vaginal pain during intercourse and no one talks about it. Like I saw it all around me. Everyone around me has it. That's how I felt.
0: It turns out my former boss has it, my roommate from college, even my childhood best friend has it. We just never told each other.
3: Hey, this is Sarah.
4: I'm 30 years old and I have vaginismus.
0: My name is Rachel, I'm 26 years old. And when I
2: was 18, I started having a lot of pain during sex. My name is Abby and I'm 27 years old. I experienced pain upon penetration and have since the first time I had sex at age 23. My then boyfriend suggested I might have vaginismus. Hi, my name's Rachel Alter. I'm 26 years old and in 2014, I was diagnosed with hypertonic pelvic floor disorder, which means that my vaginal muscles are too tight.
4: I first realized something was wrong when I was 14, but I wasn't diagnosed until I was 20. And I didn't really start pursuing treatment until I was 28.
0: I would go to my college and health center. They'd run a couple of tests. I tried my gynecologist who works at a fancy hospital. She didn't know what to do either.
2: My mom saw a note about it on my gynecological report and casually commented that she too had experienced it in the beginning. But that drinking wine had helped her to relax. So lactic acid builds up, and I basically get a runner's cramp inside my vagina, which
0: most of the time I don't notice, except when I'm penetrated by a penis. These are just some of the people I know who started telling me their stories once I opened up. And that continues to be true. At least once a week, someone tells me that they or their friend have a chronic vulvar pain condition. There were actually a couple of weeks where I literally thought, do I just happen to live in some strange alternative universe where all the women around me have pain with penetration? But then I actually started doing the research, and I found out it's not a coincidence. Up to 28% of women have chronic pain with penetration— meaning for at least three months. And that's according to the Journal of Sexual Medicine. So it's pretty common.
4: That's
1: at least one in four women. And that number is probably a low estimate, since many are told to just go home and relax. We've even heard stories of women who are told by medical professionals and their friends to drink a glass of red wine, and the pain will go away. So it makes sense that a lot of women don't report what's going on. They think their pain is normal. I bet that
0: would be different if this were a primarily male problem, and Sharon thinks so too. She told us a story about a doctor she knows who is participating in a training on vulvar
3: pain. A male gynecologist told her, like, what's the big deal, a little pain? And she told him, I want you to imagine the next thing. Every time you ejaculate, it's so painful, you can't move and you start crying. How does that sound to you? And then he was like... Okay, 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 now I get it. If men had this issue, we'd never let it go unnoticed.
0: And that's why I'm talking about this here, on this podcast. And it's why nothing's a secret for me anymore. So let's talk about what we're going to do on this show.
1: We're telling secrets that shouldn't be secret. Millions of women and people with vaginas have regular or chronic pain, but no one is talking about it. We want to understand why there's such a stigma and silence around these conditions. It's not just NOAA and D. These stories are part of something much, much bigger.
0: We're going to dive into doctor stories, how conditions like this impact gender and sexual identities, relationships, patient advocacy, and so much more. We'll bring in the voices of queer, trans, and non-binary people, and people of all sorts of backgrounds who experience chronic pain. And while I'll tell my personal story throughout the season, it's really just a jumping-off point for us to ask hard questions about the broader, more systemic issues.
1: On our next episode, we'll talk about the history of treating women's pain and the role of doctors in the medical establishment. Here's a sneak peek there's so much gender bias in in automatically categorizing something that a woman has as hysteria and just a huge just a lack of research on women because they're not taken seriously the fact that so many patients have to turn to each other to get knowledge about how to manage their conditions sort of reflects the failures of of the medical system, right? I think it's less than ideal that women become each other's own doctors. We want to hear your
0: stories. We want to show that vaginismus, vulvodynia, provoked vestibulodynia, endometriosis, and other chronic conditions affect people of all ages and backgrounds. So if you or someone you know has a story that you're willing to share, email us at tightlippedpod at gmail.com.
1: Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes and to share tight with your friends. Thanks for listening to our first episode, and we'll be back soon. This episode was edited by Judah Kaufman. Special thank you to Gabby Escovar for creating our logo and Marty Kizan for website design. A huge thank you to everyone who listened, gave feedback on our drafts, and directed us to resources. Inbar Amir, Daniela Tolchinski, Adina Brin, Katie Stewart, Sharon Orshalemi, Phyllis Mate, Laura Garbs, Ellen Mayer, Mishi Harmon, and the Durot Fellows. We couldn't have launched this without you. We also want to thank everyone who helped and supported us in this past year. Barb Blass, Peter Fogel, Rachel Cohen, Rachel Alter, Sarah Turbo, Lila Goldstein, Anna Rubin, Ellie Crandall, Abby Kliansky, Zev Levi, Yochai Metal, Justin Williams, Ben Wallach, Amy Tardiff, and the current and past members of our co-op Doikite. Thank you all so much.